At the end of September of last year, after the council and the congregation had made the decision to hire me on as pastor, my wife and I were having a, con a conversation. And we were dreaming about what God might do, not only with us, but with everybody here at Hillsview as well. And, you know, we were talking about a whole bunch of different things. And after we were talking, I asked, what do you see as one of the biggest challenges that we might face? And she said, I, I think that we need to guard against discouragement. You know, to be patient and let God do what he's going to do. Even if we don't see immediate success, whatever success might look like, we just need to be patient and just trust that God is going to do what, what he's going to do. And we talked about that for a little bit, kind of unpacked it a little. And then she asked me, she said, well, what about you, Brad? What do you see as one of the biggest challenges that we're going to face once we get started? And I paused for a minute, not because I didn't have an answer. I just didn't want to say it out loud. Truth is, I've been thinking and dreaming about being a lead pastor for as long as I can remember when I started this ministry journey. And as excited as I was that this dream was about to become a reality, the same issue was always rolling around in the back of my mind. What if I can't do this? I have another job that I work 30 hours a week at. I have tasks and chores that I need to get done at home. I have a wife and daughter that I would like to see. Would I have time to be able to get everything done? I mean, what about the congregation? What if somebody needs some pastoral care in the congregation? Would I have time to do that? Would I be able to write a sermon each and every week? You know, when I was just dreaming about being a pastor, those were just dreams. But now that it was about to become a reality, I have this congregation of people that are all counting on me to lead this church. And what if I can't do it? I almost felt like I was letting my wife down as I said it. See, she's been with me every step of the way, encouraging me at every turn. And she was so excited when I told her that I got the job. And I certainly am still excited about being able to be your pastor. But what if? Maybe some of you know that feeling. I mean, you might not be pastoring a church, but do you have something that you've been dreaming about for a while? And the anxiety of the details have kept you from moving forward? Maybe you've been thinking about working somewhere else. But what if you're not able to handle learning a new job? What if you've been thinking about buying a home? But what if you can't afford the mortgage? What if something breaks and all of a sudden you have to repair something? What if you've been thinking about getting a little bit more involved at church? But then you try something and, well, you mess up. What if you volunteer to help and nobody really wants your help? 
What if, what if you just fail? What if? All throughout history, those words, what if, they, they've taken the biggest, brightest dreams and they've thrown them into a very dark place filled with stress and anxiety. Today we're going to be looking at some of the things that you can do when the what-ifs of life start to take over. And when they darken those very bright dreams that God has put in your heart. Now we're going to be continuing our series on overcoming darkness. And today we're going to be looking at overcoming the darkness of anxiety. So we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to use the pew Bibles there in front of you. Our passage is on page 1163. So before we get started, I want to make sure that we're all starting from the same spot here. The book of Philippians is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Philippi, very similar to the letter that he wrote to the Ephesians that we studied in depth a couple of series ago. Now, Paul is writing to the people of Philippi to encourage them to keep on spreading the good news of the gospel. And in the section we're going to be looking at today, it's part of how Paul closes his letter. So starting in verse 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So last week we talked about overcoming fear. And we talked about how the story of Jesus can't really be told without the phrase, do not be afraid. And Paul is kind of doubling down on this here. He's saying, not only should you not be afraid because Jesus is near, but you should rejoice because Jesus is with you. The last words that Jesus said before ascending up to heaven were, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Paul is reminding the people of Philippi about this, and he's wrapping up a letter of encouragement as he tells them, to be filled with joy because Jesus is near. Horatio Spafford was a very successful attorney and a real estate investor. And he lost his fortune in the great Chicago fire, fire of 1871. Around that same time, he had a four-year-old son that died of scarlet fever. And with these two horrible things back to back, he decided the best thing was to get my family out of town. We just need to go on a vacation. And so he put his wife and his four daughters on a ship to set sail for England, and he was going to follow them a couple of days later. So when they were on their trip, that ship collided with another ship, and over 200 people died, including all four of Spafford's daughters. Now, his wife, Anna, survived the tragedy, and when she arrived in England, she sent a telegram to Horatio, telling her husband, saved, alone, what shall I do? 
Immediately, he set sail for England. And as he was making his trek across the Atlantic, the captain of that ship called for him. He came up to the, the captain's area, and the captain said, I'm, I'm aware of the tragedies that have struck your family. And I just wanted to let you know that right now, we're passing over the spot that the accident happened, where your daughters passed away. And as Horatio thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his heart and his mind. And he wrote those words down. And those words, we actually sang them a little bit earlier today. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Maybe we can't always say that everything in our life is perfect. I mean, nobody's life is perfect. We're always going to face storms in our lives. But when we know that Jesus is with us, when we know that Jesus is near, we can confidently say, it is well with my soul. Now, as we get back to our passage, Paul addresses the what-ifs that we talked about earlier, as well as the stress and the anxiety that comes with them. He writes in verses 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I know some of you are reading that, and you're thinking to yourself, that's really easy to read. That's really easy to say. But actually doing that, actually not being anxious about anything, that's pretty hard to do. I get it. I mean, every one of us could probably tell something that we're all anxious about right now. Here's mine. I have a 17-year-old daughter. She has a driver's license. She has a car. She drives herself to work. She drives herself to school. She drives herself out with friends to go get some food or whatever. And she's actually a pretty good driver. But like a lot of other young drivers, she doesn't have a lot of experience. And there are hundreds of impatient and angry and just plain bad drivers out there. She could do everything right and still end up getting into an accident. And it seems like we all know someone who, as a teenager, was involved in some sort of car accident and somebody got really, really hurt, or even worse, died. The first time that I watched her drive away out of our driveway, I had a lump in my throat. What if something happens? What if watching her drive away is the last time that I see her? How am I supposed to not be anxious about that? But when Paul tells us, 
do not be anxious about anything, he quickly follows it up with an alternative. He says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious, but instead, pour out your anxieties, your concerns, your fears. Pour all of it out to God. And once you've poured it all out, Paul says, now that the anxiety is all out of you, God is going to fill you back up. He says in verse 7, if you do that, if you give it all to God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says a transfusion of sorts is going to happen. Out with the anxiety, in with God's peace. And that peace will surround your hearts and your minds, what you think about and what you love. So now, every time Sammy leaves, I pray. I pray that God brings her back safely. And every single time, that peace that Paul talks about, it comes to me. Now, don't get me wrong. There's still concern. There will always be concern. I hear from older parents that it doesn't matter how old your kid gets, you still worry about them. But the peace of God fills my heart and mind and that anxiety dies down a little bit. Now in the last part of our passage today, Paul continues with a second way to avoid anxiety and stress. He writes in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul is saying instead of looking at something and being anxious, look back and remember things that God did for you. Remember when God helped you through that rough stretch? Remember when you didn't have any money and you were struggling, not sure how you're going to pay your bills, not sure how you're going to get any food to eat. And somehow, money just showed up out of nowhere. Maybe somebody bought you a meal or some groceries. Remember when you were overwhelmed with a bunch of things that you had to get done all at once? And then somehow, some way, they all got done. Remember when you went through that health scare? Remember what God did? Why wouldn't he do it again if we come to him through prayer and petition and with thanksgiving present our requests to him? Why wouldn't he do it again? Now, just a quick side note. This is not saying that God is a genie giving you whatever you want. God is not a vending machine. You put your prayers up there, he gives you what you want. It doesn't work that way. This is saying that no matter what the situation is that you find yourself in, no matter what happens in your life, you can either sit there and get all worked up about what's happening, or that you can trust that God knows what he's doing. And when you come to him for help and guidance, he is always 
there for you. His help and his guidance might not look anything like what you think it should. But part of trusting God is trusting his answers to our prayers. I was reading a book by a guy named Bob Goff. And he was telling the story about some of of the lessons he learned when he was getting his pilot's license. And one of the stories he told is the lesson he learned what to do when your engine stops mid-flight. He says they teach you to, to pitch, pick, and point. And he went on to explain. He said pitching means that you push the controller forward and you actually pitch the plane to start going downward. And that actually, it, you have to rewire your brain to be able to do that. Because when you're flying and your engine stops, the ground is not your friend. So he says your normal instinct is to pull back on the controls. But he says if you do that, you'll stall out and you'll crash for sure. So often when we're anxious about stuff going on in our lives, we just want to do stuff. Let me take care of it. I I can take care of it. Let me just be really, really busy, and I can take care of these things. But Paul is telling us we need to retrain our brain so that when we find ourselves anxious, we actually just let go. And God takes over. Now the next step is you pick where you're going to land. Bob Goff says that it can be a field, it can be a street, it can be a parking lot. He says that he learned it can be anywhere except for a body of water or a herd of cattle. So when you, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, you're telling God what you would like to see happen. For me, it's bringing my daughter home safely or giving me the time and the resources to effectively lead this church and bring people to Jesus. Whatever it is for you, whatever it is, Pick what you would like to give to God and let go and let him work. Now the final step after pitching forward and picking your landing spot is to keep pointing at where, you, where you're going. It sounds simple enough, but in flying and also in life, it's easy to get distracted by the what ifs. And when that happens, we stop pointing at the right things. Rather than pointing at whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, excellent, or praiseworthy, we kind of get off course. And we start pointing at other things that can cause darkness, like anxiety, stress, or fear. Pitch, pick, and point. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And watch him make the darkness of your anxiety fade away. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for today. Thank you for overcoming our darkness. Thank you for giving us these ways to keep on looking at you Thank you for giving us these instructions to to 
just be with us and let us overcome the darkness of anxiety and keep on pointing at you. Lord, thank you. It's truly in your name that we pray.